Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Solvable. I'm Jacob Weisberg. COVID transmission is solvable. It is solvable. I I truly believe that. That's epidemiologist Michael Minna. And his optimism isn't based on all the effort going into finding a vaccine. It's based on something that exists now. These are used for malaria, for strep, for all these different um, infections. They've been around for a very long time. Minna is excited about small strips of paper, about the length of your pinky finger. Those cheap pieces of paper would be used in millions of transmission indicating tests. These are called antigen tests and can identify when people are contagious. They can help to quickly contain community spread of the virus. And they're already in production. So what's the catch? They aren't easy to get through the FDA. How long is it going to take for me, Malcolm Gabel, to be able to go to my drugstore and buy 100 of these strips for $25 and take one every morning. It's not just turning out to be a very, very difficult task, but it's actually, I think, uh, inadvertently leading to potentially tens or, or hundreds of thousands of additional deaths that we don't need to be having. Michael Minna is an epidemiologist and immunologist at the Harvard School of Public Health and a physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital. My solution to defeating COVID is daily rapid tests that people could use in their homes every day to stop transmission of the virus everywhere. With people dying every day, there's no more time to waste. Dr. Minna spoke with my co-host Malcolm Gladwell about how to solve the spread of COVID. Here's their conversation. I wanted to start with a really dumb, obvious question, which is, can you describe to me all the ways in which you can look for the presence of a virus in a human being? Well, that's not an obvious question at all. <laughs> Within each virus, viruses, just like uh, any other thing, they have a genetic code 
and then they have a bunch of proteins. And the genetic code of a virus is RNA, which is uh, akin to a human's DNA. And so the same way that you could do a forensic investigation uh, of a crime scene and use DNA to find if there was a human, a specific human at that crime scene, you can do a forensic investigation to look for RNA mm -hmm. to know if there was RNA inside of a person. So that's one way, and that's this tool that these are molecular tools that we call PCR. And then there's a different way. Instead of using the genetic makeup and the RNA to look for the virus in this case, you could actually look for the proteins that make up the virus. And that's where these antigen tests really shine. Mm -hmm. So you can either look for the genetic code or you could look for the proteins. I like to call these rapid antigen tests transmission indicating tests. There's one other major way, which I'll just say quickly, and that's to look for the immunological response to the virus because humans are good at making immune responses to viruses. So it's a different way and that's antibody-based detection. But that's, I put it in a whole different category because it usually comes after infection. Yeah. So the first way, looking for the RNA, is the kind of gold standard. That's exactly right. And so if I go to the hospital and get a, today, and get a COVID test, they're looking for RNA. They're giving me, they're using PCR to look to see if I have virus in my system. That's right. And what's the cheapest that a PCR test could produce a result? The actual price of a PCR test can be done for about six bucks, maybe even less. So it can be really cheap, but the difference is the whole infrastructure around PCR tests. They have to be done in labs. So you have logistics of transport, you have all of the people working in the lab, robots and and so generally, it really drives the cost up. And as we've seen, the average test costs anywhere from $30 at the absolute low end up to $150 for some labs that are charging it. Now, contrast PCR to antigen tests. How do antigen tests, what do they look like? And what's their cost and time profile? They, they look like a pregnancy test. And they work like a pregnancy test, actually. They can be made, they're, they're a, it's a little piece of paper, generally speaking. Uh, you put some of the sample, whether that be some, some a swab that's been mixed with some saline solution or saliva onto a paper strip, and it shows up with a line. It turns either, for example, red if it's positive or blue if it's negative. And those can be made in, the, in huge numbers. They don't require instruments. Uh, they don't usually require instruments. There's a few on the market right now that to get the sensitivity that the FDA wanted, they, they have some instrumentation associated. But in reality, these are used for malaria, for strep, for all these different um, infections. They've been around for a very long time and they can be done just on a piece of paper in five minutes and they could get down to, you can produce them for fractions of a dollar and they might be sold to the public or built by the government for you know, a dollar a piece or something along those mm -hmm. lines. So you're, you've been a, the, perhaps the leading public proponent, public health proponent of um, using antigen tests much more broadly to fight this pandemic. And I wanted to, the first time I heard you give this argument, you convinced me in about two minutes. And I still don't understand why, why don't we have this system? Because I can imagine a world where if it's this, if they're cheap and that easy, then, you know, every kid before they went to school in the morning would take one of these 50 cent or $1 tests. And if they were positive, they would stay home. And if they're negative, we would know they could go to school. like, Or if I want to go to a restaurant, why can't I just set, stand in the vestibule of the restaurant, take the test, and wait for my response? And if I'm 
if I'm negative, I get to go to the restaurant. Like, it just strikes me as this is a way to get going again. Why are we not doing this? Can you explain that? I, I can, and I have a few theories. I mean, they're not just theories. They're, 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 I'm, I'm in the middle of all of this. And so these tests, because of this whole sensitivity issue, early in March or, or really in January, the world decided that PCR was the gold standard for these tests. And I don't think, and I, I know that this will maybe come, will come across wrong for some people, but there hasn't been enough thought placed into what exactly does the PCR test mean and is it the right gold standard the only pathway that we have to evaluate tests like this in the United States are medical diagnostic pathways. They are pathways designed specifically to ensure that a physician, like a detective, is getting all of the information they need to diagnose a sick person in front of them. So it's really been, first and foremost, a regulatory hurdle. We have so devalued and defunded um, public health across our country and really across the world uh, that we actually didn't, we don't have a regulatory pathway to approve a test whose primary objective is, is one of stopping an epidemic versus one of diagnosing a sick person. And that has really led, that's held everything up. All of the companies that could be producing these, these really rapid tests in the millions and millions, they have been sitting on these tests trying to hone them, trying to get them just a little bit better, just a little bit better so that, the F- so that they can pass their FDA standards as a medical diagnostic. It's not just slowing down their approval and getting them out to the public. It's actually bottlenecking the companies into creating tests that are not going to be as scalable because they're having to use more expensive reagents. They're starting to put them with instruments and package them more. You know, they have to actually become more expensive highly manufactured tests, when in reality, they're just these little pieces of paper um, mm-hmm. that if we can do the cheap version of them, they could be made very fast, but they just won't get through the FDA at the moment. And but we, I don't, uh, I, I'm still, sorry, I, I find it, sorry, I find your explanation unconvincing. How dumb is the FDA? Like, don't they understand that they can't be, they can't be a group of people who are wholly wedded to only one way of understanding how to deal with a virus. You well, can't, the, what ha, if you make the exact argument you just made to me, to someone at the FDA who is every bit as smarter, smarter than I am and knows a mountain more about medicine, they're not going to say, I see your logic? Uh, well, you know, it's not that they're not smart. It's that this is a regulatory body. They just don't have a pathway. They, they literally, you can't go and apply for um, FDA approval for a public health test tool. In fact, they mm-hmm. say it strongly in their FAQs and their facts that say, uh, we do not evaluate public health tools. And, and so that might make you say, well, that's great. So why bother getting FDA approval? Unfortunately, these tests are defined by the FDA as clinical diagnostic tests, which has a pretty broad definition of a test that gives somebody information about themselves that could cause them to change their behavior is a clinical diagnostic test. So mm-hmm. this is this catch-22 where they're saying, you know, we don't want to have anything to do with public health, with approving public health tools, but we also don't want to change our definition of, uh, to allow you to say that that's not a clinical diagnostic test. And so they've gotten stuck in this regulatory bureaucratic nightmare of, of just regulation for regulation's sake. And they, there is precedent at the FDA, for example, to think about public health tools. Vaccines are one of them. 
they have outright been willing to say, we will accept a vaccine that has 50% efficacy. And that's because whether they recognize it or not, they're taking into account the public good part of a vaccine, that they understand that it will lead to herd immunity. So, but they have none of that thinking in diagnostic tests because it's just driven by this very antiquated view of, of what a diagnostic test means. And in our country, everything has been, you know, the medical establishment is extremely strong. We can't, we can't, you can't go to get a, a cholesterol test without getting a prescription from your doctor. Like, why is that not, why can't we know that? You know, it's all through this very, very heavy medical lens and changing that, moving, getting that, that big ship to turn is turning, you know, it's, it's not just turning out to be a very, very difficult task, but it's actually, I think, uh, inadvertently leading to potentially tens or, or hundreds of thousands of additional deaths that we don't need to be having. You know what this reminds me of? There's a fascinating book that was written about tanks. Tanks that were invented in the First World War, and then they just kind of sit on the shelf for 20 years. Everyone realizes they're a breakthrough in a revolution, and they've changed warfare forever. But no one can figure out who, where to put them. <laughs> Do they belong with the infantry? Not really, right? Mm-hmm. Should they take the place of cavalry? Well, kind of, but those guys are really into horses. You know, like you can go on and on and on. Like, and they can't. Exactly. So literally, it just sits around for 20. And then the Germans, who don't have a military, it was destroyed by the Allies. They get to start over, and they, put it, they, they know where to put them, right? Because they're mm-hmm. starting from scratch. They don't have any legacy systems that are inhibiting the... Um, how I want to go back to how many different um, companies... Are, could make one of these things if asked? And how fast would it, I mean, if I wanted, so let's say the FDA commissioner comes to you, Michael, and says, okay, you win. Mm-hmm. Press go tomorrow. How long is it going to take for me, Malcolm Gladwell, to be able to go to my drugstore and buy 100 of these strips for $25 and take one every morning? Yep. So uh, so they they're actually becoming available now, sort of. Abbott, uh, just came out with a new test called the Binex now. It's, it's literally a piece of cardboard. And these have uh, now been approved, uh, but only for medical diagnostic use, again, because they're being approved through the FDA. And, uh, and so they're being approved for uh, a physician to order, for example, for a patient. They'll be able to make about a million a day. But again, that's because they're, they're the slightly more manufactured ones. If you take one of those super simple paper strip tests the blueprints for how to make these are publicly available. No IP. You can get uh, royalty-free, non-exclusive rights to just produce these. And I think governments should just be contracting with major manufacturers, you know, manufacturers that have the mach- machines to make them, but it's not particularly sophisticated machines needed to make these things. In our case, the U.S. government should be should just be taking the reins and creating a Manhattan Project-like effort to just, say, print 30 million of these a day for 30 million Americans to use every day. And if everyone's using it every three days, then you're covering 90 million Americans could be using these tests every third day. And that is more than enough to suppress all of the outbreaks where they're occurring today. How Can you describe how your experience trying to promote this idea um, has made you feel? Oh, well, um, I would say it's, um, it's been, uh, it's been fraught, I would say. I think it's, it's been a a reality check that, you know, we are in a, a culture and country and world that is so 
driven by uh, regulation. We've just overregulated in some ways, and I'm not against regulation by any means, but when we can't recognize that there is a national, a global crisis happening and come up with different, more creative pathways, you know, this is a tool. There is no vaccine coming tomorrow for us. Social distancing clearly isn't working to suppress all the outbreaks. Masks, people aren't choosing to wear them in much of the country and the world. And here it is. This is a test that can that can be made for pennies, essentially charged a dollar that could actually serve to sit in for vaccines until they come about. I mean, people are dying still, you know, people like we're becoming complacent and that's just, that's the frustration part. And that is generally what is the first gut reaction when you ask me that question. But at the same time, this is an idea that has caught on and it, and it has gotten a huge number of people, you know, it's kind of created a movement, I would say. And that has been just so inspiring. The number of people across all, every single day, not, not a day has gone by um, for months now where I haven't gotten emails from everyone from governors of states and prime ministers of countries down to literally people who say, you know, I, I'm out of my job right now. Uh, I'm a, I have no, no idea, you know, anything about infectious diseases. I'm usually a, whatever their job is and, but how can I help? You know, I want to help with this cause. And so it's been amazing to see the outpouring by the average person in the public to really try to help get these things, uh, moving and, uh, and to, to help move the needle in, in whatever capacity that might be. So that's been pretty, it's just been inspiring and amazing to me. Are there, are there things our listeners can do to make this solution more likely? First, get more information. Uh, and we've actually set up uh, with, well, I barely did anything, but there's been this kind of small army of people who are springing up to really help with these issues and pushing the FDA and the government in the right direction. And that's rapidtests.org. One word, rapidtests.org. And uh, there's, we're trying to fill that website in with, with increasing amounts of information. There's even links, I believe, at this point to help people send, create letters to the representatives. There's been some really nice articles. If people want to follow me on Twitter, I tend to write about it a lot on Twitter. And, and I'm, I try to be very responsive to people. And so um, my Twitter handle is michaelminna underscore lab. But all of that aside, I think one of the best things that people can do right now is to actually let their their leaders and their representatives, whether it be at the county level, their state leaders and their federal leaders, know that um, that you know this has been dragging on too long. Rapid tests still have not become available. They are a solution that, along with all of the other things like social distancing and masks, will really help to f- combat this virus. And we need to have state and federal leadership getting on board to help uh, get these through approval processes quicker and and help get the production of these, uh, you know, ideally from the federal government up to speed and have tens of millions of these produced every day. And, yeah. And I think it's already working, which is the good thing. So keep the momentum up. <laughs> One last question. Why isn't there or is there a black market in these tests? I mean, there's a, you know, I don't use cocaine, but if I wanted to use cocaine, pretty sure I could get it. I don't understand why, if these things are cheap and easy to make, and they have such a profound impact on people's lives, why isn't there a thriving underground economy in giving us cheap cheap antigen tests? 
Well, I'd be lying if I if I were to say I haven't thought a lot about just importing them from other countries, <laughs> you know. But I think it's because we do still have laws, and we we still have, you know, tests aren't so extreme. You know, I, it might get there if if they're really not getting approved. At the end of the day, they can just sell them legally in other countries at the moment. So why bother doing something illegal in the U.S. when yeah. you know they can sell them elsewhere? Where can I where can I buy them? What country can I buy them legally in? Well, South Korea is making, uh, there's at least two companies, there's, there's more, I'm sure. South Korea has a company called SD Biosensor, and they're, they're actually exporting them all over the world now. Canada, Sona Nanotech is mm-hmm. starting to produce them, and they're, I'm guessing, going for FDA clearance. But India is making them, Singapore, I believe, has some that they're making. So, the, so we're starting to see them. I think even Senegal is um, producing them, but South Koreans have the, the highest volume that they're currently making. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is totally fascinating. And I am once again filled with righteous anger at <laughs> the inability of our regulatory system to handle. I mean, it's just not, it's just like, it doesn't seem like that big of a jump. Like it doesn't seem that hard given the fact that this whole thing's costing us. Uh, I agree. I just, it, it's frustrating, but I would, I do have to say that, you know, the FDA has been willing to come to the table more frequently and actually we're having the conversation, so maybe they're starting to to yeah. really warm up to it. You know, I feel like uh, if you can if you can convince the FDA on this one, you deserve uh, not just a medal, but one of those statues. Uh, <laughs> I'll, 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 I will. I'll chip in for the statue. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep fighting this fight until and see it through until we start defeating COVID one way or the other. Michael Minna is an epidemiologist and immunologist at the Harvard School of Public Health and a physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Remember to check out our show notes for links to the suggestions our guests make for ways that you can get involved. Next week on Solvable, we'll hear from chemist Eric Apple about a new solution for fighting wildfires before they start. And here's the teaser. It involves laying down something like a real-life force field. You won't want to miss that conversation. Solvable is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. Our show is produced by Camille Baptista, senior producer Jocelyn Frank. Catherine Girardot is our managing producer, and our executive producer is Mia Lobel. I'm Jacob Weisberg. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.